Hello and welcome to the Gaming Moguls Podcast, your board gaming podcast for aspirational gamers wishing to move up into the ranks of medium and heavyweight gamers. I'm your host, Mark Teske, along with my millennial friend, Mr. Jake Klopfenstein. Hi, everybody. Jake and I are setting out tonight to just uh, record a bit of an introductory episode so that you can get to know a little bit of who we are and that we can kind of keep this on board all times as like an episode zero. So you can get a taste for who we are, what we're about, what our gaming tastes are, and most importantly, what's our biases as you start judging uh, what our opinions are on that. It's really important to take the context on what our bias is because I guarantee there are games that I will hate that you will love and vice versa. Absolutely. And if anyone ever asks us, what are your top five favorite games? We're going to say, listen to episode zero and we're never going to do it again because and even this small little list of that's not even a real thing was so hard to do for me. It took me so long. Said that, I guarantee that my top five will change about five minutes after this episode is done. <laughs> so it's not even, it's not even worth it to do it. These are just, I guess, five <laughs> games we like kind of. So uh late fall 2018 <laughs> this is where we're standing right a snapshot so by way of introductions uh like i said my name is mark teske i'm a uh, commercial photographer and video producer based out of edina minnesota and um my gaming history kind of goes as such i started my gaming world playing magic the gathering actually i gotta go back farther than that i started my gaming world playing Dungeons and Dragons back in uh, junior high. Uh, That dates me a little bit. I played that a lot through high school. And then once college hit, it was magic, magic, all magic. Never competitive, just lots of uh, around the kitchen table type one casual multiplayer. And um, it wasn't until the early 2000s where somebody introduced me to the game of Acquire and I instantly got hooked on that. And that led to Catan and led to Ticket to Ride and Bonanza and all of those games that were really popular in the early 2000s. And uh, bingo, bango, here we are now a bunch of years later, and uh, I've fallen down the heavy games rabbit hole. How about you, Jake? Um, my story is pretty much the same as yours. Um, middle school, a lot later than when you were in middle school. My uncle, who will be referenced a lot in this podcast as we play games with him very often, taught me and my friends D&D. And so we learned how to play with that. Then we did some weird homebrew stuff where our one friend just absolutely made up D&D and we just would tell him if we were able to level up or not. And that was all middle school. Then when I got into high school, I got really into Warhammer 40k, dropped about way too much money on a dumb plastic army that rots in my parents' garage. And then right around 2007, kind of concurrently with... 40k my uncle brought a new game to our table called dominion which i do not like to play very much anymore but was a great game at the time to kind of get us into something and just keep on seeing what this tabletop community could be and then recently about three or four years ago i started with a little game called uh food chain magnet which was my first i think really heavy game i don't know when it came out maybe three or four years ago and that's kind of been what I've been playing now. Now I'm mostly into heavier games. Absolutely. And I, I think I just made the uh, battlefield decision that for the terms of this podcast, I'm adopting Uncle Kirk as well. So we're just calling him Uncle there it Kirk. Is. Uncle Kirk. He's your Uncle Kirk, my Uncle Kirk. He's the <laughs> universal Uncle Kirk. So the funny part there is that I'm actually older than Kirk. But there you go. Eh, it's it's close. I mean, eh, pretty close. <laughs> Um, another thing we're not probably going to do a lot of in this podcast is spend a ton of time on our uh, in real life self. But uh, 
you know, give you a little bit of an introduction for those that listen to episode zero. Um, wife and two kids, currently 12 and 10, boy and a girl. You know, those of you that think you can't play heavy games, um, my kids pretty regularly play things that are up on the four scale on Board Game Geek, and they don't even realize they're playing a hard game because they've just kind of grown up that way. And, and man, it's possible for everybody. Absolutely. Um, I'm 25. I live in Minneapolis with my lovely fiance, Anna, who likes to play some games with us, but she's not usually on the heavier game side. Um, she doesn't like the big rules overhead and she doesn't like learning things. So we usually just play the same kind of games, but we play a lot of games together, which is awesome. Um, I'm in sales too. That's the other thing. I have to talk to people all day. So playing games at night isn't hard for me. And Jake and I also uh, play together in real life, at least weekly. Um, we do a Absolutely. Wednesday night session at Fantasy Flight and here in Minneapolis. We're very lucky to have that resource available to us. It's a wonderful gaming center. And then uh, somewhat regularly, we have what we call Train Thursday, where we get together and buy shares and uh, train rush each other. Absolutely. That sounds somewhat dirty, but I promise it's all in good fun. I thought about that about halfway through, and I'm hoping that in context, everybody will understand what we're getting at with that comment. <laughs> I'm sure it's fine. We play 18xx games on Thursdays occasionally, and it works out really fun. So, Mark, kind of what's the goal of this podcast? What's our kind of thesis here? My thing is I was about trying to help people get beyond what they're used to. Um, I, I teach ski lessons on the side as well, and there's this concept of keeping people progressing to more and more difficult runs greater mastery of those runs, that sort of things. And I was keeping that level of progression going so that people are continually challenging themselves into new areas. And that's so applicable to board gaming that I realized that I, I looked at this and said, you know, I think the kind of transitional niche from medium to heavy is somewhat underserved in the podcasting world, that there's a lot of podcasts that talk about sort of mass market games, medium weight games, lightweight games. Um, there's a couple of niche podcasts that talk specifically about heavyweight games, but I realized that there's a large, probably a large market of medium weight gamers that um, have been intimidated or haven't had the exposure or the experience to um, some more accessible heavyweight games. You know, I don't know how deep in the weeds we're going to get on some of the real <laughs> okay, crunchy ones. Yeah, I don't think we do campaign of North Africa. Uh, no, that's not the plan. Skip that one. We may reference High Frontier once now and again, but um, hey, I don't know that that's ever going to be a recommended game for a crowd. But we are going to make a point of talking about how uh, games that are going to be of interest. Of the, hey, I've played a lot of these, me you know, very popular medium weight games. What's what's the next step? Right. And that's really what our podcast is going to be about. And we're going to bring up a lot of different topics around that. Of course, we're going to talk games. We're going to talk strategy. Uh, we're going to talk news. We're going to talk, um, you know, how do you bling out your game? How do you print and play games? That's really a thing when you get into heavier games as well. So um, it very much will be a variety show. And uh, very importantly, we're going to keep this baby to under an hour every time and do it approximately every other week. Absolutely. And I don't think we're going to review games, which is probably nice for you guys, because we actually get to spend more time playing the games we want to play. Might be a little self-serving, but... Yeah, nobody on the planet actually wants to hear more reviews. If you want to hear a review of the game, everybody's <laughs> doing those things. What we are going to do is, though, we're going to give you game impressions. So there will be games that we talk about, and it's not going to be a review. Like, we're not going to recap the rules and what the packaging's like and so forth and give it a rating. What we are going to do is we're going to discuss some games that we're familiar with and that we think are a good fit for our target audience. Uh, we're going to tell you why you should be interested in that game, what we love about them, 
it's like if you were thinking about buying a car and you knew a friend that had that same car and you went out for lunch with them and said, hey, what, what, what do you think about that car? What do, you, what do you like and not like about it? And you had a kind of a more in-depth conversation about the pluses and minuses of it other right. rather than just the, yeah, it drives with ice. Right. Not, not the, it's got a, got a f- inline four turbocharged two liter. We're not going to tell you that stuff. We're just going to tell you the weird things like the cup holders are weirdly far away. And I really dislike that, but it affects my life a lot. But on the flip side, they also include one that's kind of a little bit larger on the inside. So you get the extra large. Right. Absolutely. That, so, that's actually speaking from experience. My cup holders are about three inches too far away from me in my car. And it's the laziest thing in the world, but it drives <laughs> me up the wall. It makes me so mad. It's like the top one complaint in my car. So why don't we hop right into the content for the evening? Uh, one of the things we'd like to start with is a brief introduction on our gaming style and preferences. And uh, Jake found something on Reddit the other day that is a way to kind of categorize what we're into. And could you tell us a little right. bit more about that? Happily. So they used to do it. I don't know if they do it very much now, but on the red game, the Reddit board games board, they would have this thing where they'd have the meeple of the week and the meeple of the week is the person that there's a member of the community that they're going to quiz and kind of try to extract their knowledge for the group in kind of an interview format. But there's this nice little section that I always liked reading. I would actually click these pretty much exclusively for this. And it's called the versus section where there'd be about 10 easy either or questions to kind of try to gauge what this gamer's type is and some common 50-50 things to see what they are. So to start it off, Mark, why don't I ask you a few of them and Great. see how how you stand? So I think, think this one's probably pretty simple. Um, do you prefer theme or mechanics? Uh, I, you know, I've said it once, I've said it a hundred times. I will play a spreadsheet if it's got a great mechanic behind it and interesting choices. Well, we, we legitimately do that with 18XX online, but for sure. But we'll save that for that, another day. Having said that, you know, uh, theme is theme is great icing on the cake. And, uh, you know, all things being equal, absolutely, I want a great theme. But uh, given the preference, I'd take mechanics over theme. Perfect. I'm the same boat. I love the spreadsheets. I love math. I love numbers. However, I don't think I really care about theme, but I do care about the whole package looking nice. For sure. If it present, if it's presented well, I could really play any theme. I don't really get interested in space or anything along those lines anymore. But and and having said that, you know, both of us have taken games where we love the mechanics and love the theme, and we have uh, <laughs> spent probably more than the game is worth in the first place, making it more beautiful and more engaging. Yeah, I think it should be. What do we actually care about theme or mechanics? It's we care about how it looks. Um, <laughs> on to the next one. Do you prefer a long or a short game? This is a weird question. I'm going to slap in medium in there, too, if you want to be take the easy road out. I would probably of those two things take uh, probably take long versus short. But having said that, um, a really great little short small box game is really a thing of joy as well. So. You know, if I got to pick between the two, I'm going long because of just the, you know, the immersive experience. I love that big epic. I spent all afternoon slugging it out and I could see a clear introduction and middle and closing and, you know, all the parts of the movie are there. And I, I really love that. I definitely agree with you. I'd rather have a long game. I find short games fun, but the mechanism has to be so simple and so interesting and really, really, really lightweight or not a lot of bloat on top of it before I get bored of it. I want it to be very 
ran not random but not not solved i don't yeah. I, I want it to matter and so i really like a lot of oink games for the same reason that you do yep uh, absolutely all right so now the next question is would you rather play 20 games five times or five games 20 times i personally would rather play 50 games two times but between the two of those choices i would absolutely be a uh, five game or, sorry 20 games five times um, I like a lot of variety. I really revel in the experience of exploring a new game, learning a new, uh, taking a tour of a game that I've never seen before and trying to figure out how it ticks. And I, I really love that kind of new buzz of trying it out the first time, more so than I enjoy uh, deep diving and mastering a game by playing it 50 times. Completely agree. Again, I'm starting to see why we're friends, Mark. <laughs> For all the reasons <laughs> why we game together every week. Right. Who would have sure. thought? Yeah, I get kind of bored with games post 10 plays. I mean, there's some games that I've played so many times looking at you roll for the galaxy, but for the most part, I'd rather play 20 games five times than five games 20 times. Yeah, if you curved out my games, you know, it's a very funny long tail where there's a, a sharp spike of a small number of games I've played a whole bunch of times and then a zillion games I've played under five times. Right, absolutely. Probably the same for me. Um, but I haven't always pl- tracked my plays. That's something I, I'm really happy that I do now. All right. The next question, Mark, do you prefer hero or Ameritrash games? Ameritrash all the way. Nothing can be solved <laughs> except with a pair of dice. <laughs> That's it. You just want to get together and we'll play Yahtzee all night. That's exactly it. Actually, Bunko. Exactly. Okay. Um, I don't even, oh, Bunko. <laughs> <laughs> that game's the worst. It's literally like Seven Eleven. My mom used to play it with her little <laughs> suburbs friends. Uh, in seriousness, though, um, I, th- I think you gather by now on our themes versus mechanic thing. Like if, if we would answer theme, then you could expect we'd say Ameritrash. But since we both answer mechanics, um, 100% prefer your Euro. I, I, I enjoy the great little puzzle involved with that. And um, I, I sort of get a warm, fuzzy feeling when I see a bunch of multicolored cubes. Me too. It's so weird. Whenever I see a box that's all full of wood, it makes me so happy. I just, I, I just love it, especially now that they're getting so creative with the little shaped meeples. Oh, it's perfect. Yep. Um, which kind of answers the next question. But what do you prefer, cubes or minis, Mark? <laughs> Definitely cubes. Um, uh, I, I sort of sometimes think minis are like, uh, you know, if you have a really boring soup, if you salt the daylights out of it, or a really bad pale ale, right. put a whole bunch of hops in there, suddenly it somehow becomes good. And I think minis are the same way that you can have a pretty average game and everybody thinks it's great if you include a lot of minis. Right. Um, whereas it's a little harder to hide behind a little red cube. Absolutely. Um, I'm also finding minis kind of a detriment to games. I actually s- sold my copy of Rising Sun just because of the minis. It had far too big of a box. It held an entire cube in my Calyx, my shelf. I, I couldn't keep that. That's just way too much game. And had it been in a just flat pack, regular size Euro game box, which I know it could with cubes and cards, would have liked it more. Having said that, uh, I have taken up painting minis as a hobby. Yeah, which that doesn't I make any sense. Quite enjoy, but you know, you look at what I'm painting. I'm painting. I'm painting the Gloomhaven minis. Um, I'm painting the. I'm painting the ships from Eclipse. I'm painting the right. little the minis from Scythe and so forth. So. You're still I'm still traveling in the Euro world there for the most yeah. part. And I will say as a side note as well, there is minis when they can be done right. I think games with the really small little cheap plastic guys. Um, one that comes to mind is Empire's Age of Discovery, which isn't the best because they should just have more different sculpts. I like the little guys where it's not so big or another good example would be Ticket to Ride. 
I don't like the game that much, but Ticket to Ride components, I love the little train cars. That yep. makes it better than just regular wood. Yep. Sticks oh, or something. Sure. Yeah. All right, on to the next one, Mark. Do you prefer competitive or co-op games? Uh, I would absolutely like competitive games. Um, I, you know, I, I feel like there's a whole angle of gaming that's left out when you play nothing but competitive because here's the thing. You can play cooperative when you're playing competitively. And I love games that inspire you to create a temporary alliance only to turn around and twist the knife later on. That's that's a great night of gaming for me where you can actually use all of those tools in your toolbox and both ally with people and compete against them. Whereas I personally find a lot of the co-op games are kind of samey samey. You know, they've uh, they've they've taken the pandemic formula and stamped it out a whole bunch of times. And so a lot of those games feel really samey to me. But do loves me some grizzled. Yeah, God, I love grizzled. Except for the rule book's just a mess now since the second expansion. Do you actually have the expansion for the grizzled? I, I do, and uh, you lead it every time we play it, and I couldn't tell you how to play it to save my life. Every time we play it, I'm like, oh, really? You can do that again now? Oh, that's right. Yeah, oh, yeah, yes. And yeah. the reference sheet is wrong. That comes in the box, but you still hand it out. <laughs> um, I'm the exact same as you. I much prefer competitive games. I find co-ops really tedious because either... I'm quarterbacking or someone's quarterbacking me. And I really don't like that dynamic. Um, I'm kind of a loud person and I talk over people, which is why I really like playing social deduction games when I'm drinking. Cause it gives me a chance to yell at my friends. Um, <laughs> but I, I just, I find it really tedious. I'd rather play it alone or I'd rather play with one other person. And I don't want to play it with six other people at the table. And sometimes it's just frustrating where, Oh, we did everything and we just, Okay. Kind of boring, but a few co-ops that I really do like are The Grizzled. I love XCOM. Such a wonderful game. And what's other one co-op? I guess those are my two. Um, I actually don't know the an- the question, the answer to this next question I'm going to ask you. So I'm very interested to hear what you're going to say. Do you prefer victory by conquest or victory points? You know, if you if you judge that by sheer number of games that I have, I thought about this one and I looked across my game collection and uh, I do have a large number of point salad games. I, I, I'm a big fan of Uwe Rosenberg and King of uh, the point salad <laughs> or maybe the, Prince, the Prince of point salads. I mean, Stefan Feld is definitely your king of point salads right there. So absolutely. Um, you know, so I think I would have to answer that in the case of victory points. Um I'm actually having a hard time coming up with games that I know that are victory by conquest, meaning that you hit a win condition and the game is over and you win. Right. Games where you have to like knock or do something where claim victory and then it happens. You yeah, can kind of yeah. say victory by conquest for 18xx games because a lot of the times you can say it's somewhat done at a certain point and sure. no one can compete with the person at top, but that'll be another conversation for another day. Yep, absolutely. All right, so I do know the answer to this one because I've seen your game shelf, but other people <laughs> haven't. Do you store your game boxes vertical or horizontal, and why? Okay, so um, I store them vertically. Um, I do not have a the oh-so-popular Calyx shelves that like everybody in gaming seems to have. Mine's sitting um, two feet away from me. I have some long shelves in a pantry, which I evicted my wife's stuff from. She was actually remarkably okay with this. And, um, it just, it's a, it, it's a long, there are a bunch of longer shelves. So they, that aren't very deep. 
and aren't very tall. So they really lend themselves to having things vertically. And I sort of like the look of books like that. Now, having said that, do I have boxes where the components are all spilled out all over the inside of them? Yep. (laughs) I have to be really careful when pulling some of them out. Yeah. So mine are kind of split for the most part. I'm vertical, but I do it's cube by cube. Like I have the Calyx because I shop at Ikea because I'm 25 and it depends on the cube, but all my small box games for the most part come sideways just because it's easier to store them that way up top. And then the rest of my collections actually is vertical, but there's a couple ones with really nice inserts that I want to keep sideways. So I store those ones sideways. Kind of a boring answer, but I prefer vertical. I think books look nice. Yep. The small box games I have in a separate cupboard and those are all horizontal. Those are kind of just stacked in piles because Eh, it doesn't make sense to have a deck of cards stored vertically. <laughs> Absolutely. I also do know the next answer to this question, because I don't actually think I've ever seen you buy sleeves, but do you prefer your game sleeved or raw, unsleeved? So this is one where you would be wrong. I actually prefer sleeves. Weird. And yeah, the reason for that is I am absolutely completely incompetent when it comes to shuffling. I never learned how to shuffle. And... Um, I, I broke my left thumb skiing a couple of years ago. Oh, I didn't know that. So I cannot fully extend my left thumb anymore, which is kind of annoying. And <laughs> therefore, I really I, I, I'm terrible at shuffling. So um, unless you really want to make me to mash your cards together, you don't want me shuffling them. But if you do let me shuffle them, I'd recommend sleeving them so they slide together nice and easy. Got it. Um, but a lot of it depends on the game. Like if you're only going to touch a card once and not shuffle it very often, I, I don't care. But if it's Something where you're constantly handling the cards, you know, redrawing, shuffling them multiple times. You know, I'm looking at you, every deck builder on the planet, <laughs> um, you know, Gloomhaven uh, or games I, I really, really, really care and love a lot. And, you know, the cards are just getting held and intensely thought about a lot. Uh, that would be like Lisboa or Brass Birmingham. Yeah, definitely sleeve those babies. Absolutely. I kind of have the same boat as you, but I much prefer the cards unsleeved. But I understand that you do need to sleeve certain games because they just get shuffled so much. It is funny. Whenever we're setting up a game and I give you a deck of cards to to shuffle, you always look at me like, can I ruffle shuffle them? And I usually <laughs> say no. And you deal them out into like four different piles and do the pile <laughs> shuffle thing. I guess I never realized how bad you were at shuffling. Oh, do you I'm not grandma shuffle? No, I, I grab a shuffle every game. Is it? I literally almost, just take two piles and smash them together. Wow. And that I, works I'm great gonna, with sleeves and it doesn't work with the darn with everything. So if you notice me, I riffle shuffle my own games. Yeah, I do notice that. And so you, you for the most part, you can riffle shuffle as long as Vegas shuffle, where it's not a bridge at the end. I don't really mind if you riffle shuffle my games. Right, right. I, and I, I'm gentle about it. Right. And so the next question that we have here is a little detour because they had this question with a game that neither of us have played, which is kind of embarrassing, but we switched it to another applicable game. So Mark, do you prefer Caverna or A Feast for Odin? So you are making me pick between a game that I have rated at 9 and one that I have rated at 9.5 here. So context, (laughs) are are hardly a this versus that competition. It's the, hey, they're both awesome. Personally, I think given between Caverna and A Feast for Odin, I think I would take A Feast for Odin, but only barely and no reason i love caverna um i get slightly annoyed by caverna and that giant pile of buildings it's way on the wrong end of the table that you can never remember (laughs) what are there and you have to go look through all of them um that little mechanical thing kind of annoys me but beyond that i think maybe just mm, feast for odin's a little newer and a little shinier interesting 
I'm going Caverna every single time there. I like Feast for Odin, but I didn't find it was anything to write home about. It was great components, and I saw all the different strategies, but I, it wasn't tight enough. Not saying Caverna's super tight or anything, but I never, ever worried about feeding my people in Feast for Odin. I was like, oh, what garbage am I going to feed at the table this time? <laughs> but I will play Feast again. Maybe that'll change. I've only played it three or four times. I'd like to really dig into it. Here's some more coins. Go eat those. Yeah, go eat those. Here's some more coins. And then I'd always <laughs> fill on my board with the coins, too. Um, <laughs> and then sure. every time I played Feast for Odin, I do the same thing. The first time I played, I tried to do the pillaging strategy. And then the next time I played, I said I wouldn't do the pillaging strategy. And then halfway through the game, no one was doing the pillaging strategy. So I pivoted to the pillaging strategy and won. And then that every single time from there, I try not to do it, but it keeps on bringing me back in. I just so, I can't quit it. I can't quit it. Jake. We have we're we're, we're going to put a goal out here. The real goal here is that um, this real question is Caverna or Agricola, and we're going to blow the game game nerd fail whistle dog whistle right now, and both admit that we've never played Agricola. Oh, it's embarrassing! It's which so is embarrassing because I own Agricola. Yes. So um, by episode four, we are going to report back on Agricola versus Caverna. Done. Hopefully, I'll like it. I mean, if if by the traction between or the, the trajectory between Feast for Odin and Caverna. I should like Agricola the most. I, you know, I thought it was pronounced Agrico- Agricola until recently. And I felt like an idiot. I brought it up at a convention. Like Royal <laughs> Crown Cola? Ag- Agricola? Yeah. Agricola. <laughs> Pepsi Cola? I don't know that it's necessarily going to be a like one or like other. I actually think they're more different from what I know about them than... I don't know that it's quite such a direct comparison. I really think they're actually a fairly different game that has a lot of similar look and mechanisms to it. Okay. So I think you will appreciate them both for different reasons, if I were predicting. We'll see. By episode four, we'll have to report, or we're going to have to be taken to the podcast police. Also Also by episode four. Oh, no. I have homework to do. I need to play Race for the Galaxy by episode four. You still haven't played Race. That's amazing to me. I've never played Race for the Galaxy. We can play it tomorrow. I'll bring it tomorrow. All right. I'll play Race for the Galaxy tomorrow. The issue is I bought a new expansion that I don't really know how to play. And I shuffled all the cards in the main deck. So we might have to sort for five minutes before we play and just play the base game. But God, it's great. But that leads us into our next question real well, Mark. You are a pro at this. Do you prefer Race or Roll for the Galaxy? Jeez, what a clue. Um, <laughs> uh, well, you know, I can only answer race for the galaxy. Love, I love race for the galaxy. Um, I don't love teaching race for the galaxy. Roll um, for the galaxy. You've never played race. Sorry. Did I say race role? I, I don't like teaching role. I love playing it. Um, right. every time I teach role for the galaxy, I, I swear I like start spontaneously speaking in tongues because everybody's looking at me like I suddenly lapsed into a different language. Right. But love that one and would love to actually compare it to race for the galaxy um i'm agreeing to you with you but i have played both of them hundreds of times i've actually probably played race thousands of times i had it on my my ipad and when i used to travel for work i would just sit there listening to music on the airplane and just playing race over and over and over again um they're both wonderful games but roll is the 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 gem in my heart it's funny i actually use roll as a way to determine if someone's like a good a smart person or not. I've been teaching the game and I've taught it so many times because it's so fast and it's one of my favorite games. I taught it to my friend and I was getting ready to be like, okay, it's going to take a long time to teach this game. It's kind of a complicated teach, but the game's really fast. So it'll make up for it. 
And within the first like seven minutes when I gave the kind of bigger brief overview before digging into every little bit of it, he got it. And I was astounded. I think it was the fastest I've ever taught that game. I think it was under 10 minutes to teach. It was miraculous. My friend Ben is a genius. Shout out to Ben. Wow. Very cool. I, I, you know, I've had mixed results on that one too. I've had uh, people pick it up quickly and I've had, like I said, people that just, it's weird. Like I'm speaking a different language. It's weird. All the dice, all the different actions, the action die that you turn on the action with is used and becomes that one. But yeah, the, uh, the, you know, the shipping versus, you know, that, that one, I always have to, <laughs> I always right. have to explain what right. does the rocket do again? Seems right. like and, that one never sticks in anybody's brain. Mm-hmm. And the sheet is actually a really good, the like little screen that you place your dice behind is actually a really great reference sheet, but no one ever uses it. Like, no, that's for sure. I, I don't know why no one ever looks at it. I don't know if it's because it's angled the wrong way, but it's like no one will ever find that information. They'll just come to you. What does this mean again? Just look right there. It says it in plain English. <laughs> Go for it. But to be they don't use to, it. in their defense. The iconography is not super clear in that game. Right. Not that we're telling anybody that's listening to this that's never heard that before. But if you <laughs> haven't played the game, just learn what the icons mean. They're not going to make a ton of sense. Just learn them and you'll love the game. Right. Um, so that's all the questions for the verses. But I think another thing to kind of explain what we like and what we're interested in is to kind of give a brief definition of what you consider yourself as a gamer. Are you... What kind of games are you interested in? What mechanisms really make your ears perk up? What's something that really catches your eye when it comes to games? Why don't you go ahead, Mark? Sure. Um, honestly, I, I'm going to have a little bit of a different answer on this one. Um, what really gets me going in as a gamer is sort of being a uh, master of ceremonies for the for gaming. A uh, ringleader, a, you know, I like to teach games a lot i like to you know bring people in to experience a new game i like to run the games i like to kind of keep them on the rails and that often means that i don't finish first because i'm more worried about (laughs) making sure that everybody else is having a good time and being competitive uh rather than worrying about my own game so i'll spend everybody else's turn kind of helping them and coaching them and teaching them so then when it comes around to my turn, I'll be like, oh, I haven't even thought about what I'm going to do yet. And I don't want to take all afternoon. So I'll just do this thing. Got it. So, so you just want to proselytize the good word of board games. For sure. I know that's really hard to believe by a couple people that are sitting here podcasting right now for absolutely no financial compensation. <laughs> to, <laughs> to, to, to the much found <laughs> anger of our significant others. In all seriousness, yeah. It's, it's really for me about having a great night of gaming, making sure that people tried the game. You know, it's, it's a great night for me when I walk away and everybody went, wow, that game was great. You were an awesome teacher. That was so much fun. I really enjoyed that. I'm up and down for playing that anytime. That to me is a fantastic night of gaming. That was a wonderfully wonderful political style answer where you talked for a while without giving any real information. And choosing one side or the other. Good job. Good job, Mark. But it sounded great. And I agree with it. It's a it's it's you just you got your blue G's on and you got your little your little button down shirt rolled up okay. on the sleeves. OK, so you're, so you're what, what, Iowa. what the people really want to know. Yes. Um, gaming styles. Um, I really I, I tend to prefer more complex games. I mean, I'm most yep. happy when we get. Uh, north of three on board game geek um you know north of three and a half even better um i like a game where 
the mechanisms require are almost a game sub game of themselves where you need to learn how the machine works and it takes a few games for you to understand how it works and how to optimally play and even how all the points flow through the game right so i tend to prefer contraptions uh you know strategically that kind of mirrors through where I'll take a strategic path that maybe isn't super efficient and maybe only works 10% of the time. And when it does work, it's this just glorious explosion of points that everybody is left in awe and it never works again. Right. So you're talking about like Vitalis Serta games, right? Those kind of things where they're hard to wrestle with. And after Jake plays Lisboa, he still doesn't know how three fourths of the mechanisms work. Those kind of ones. Uh, you know, anything above four on board game requires a few plays to really uh, get the flavor of them. They're like scotch or cigars. You need to understand them a little bit better to ex- to fully appreciate what they are. God knows we did not understand 18xx since the first time we played it. And, you know, it's a very similar thing. It wasn't until our third or fourth play where we both kind of went, oh. Oh, I understood it immediately from the get-go. I just couldn't convince well, I didn't understand the strategy. I didn't understand how to play. But that well, we'll talk about that later. So my gamer type, I love financial-based games. I love anything with an economic spin to it. That usually means I kind of like stodgier games that are really low on theme. Tweety is the word I use. Yes, that. Tweety, yes. When I see a game and someone says you can need a calculator for this, I get actually pretty excited i just love how business money works and different capitalization and all that kind of stuff i also love auction games because i love figuring out the perfect price for something we just recently played the estates and every single time that i would say a price and i'd be the person who'd be the winning bidder and then the auctioneer had to look at me and make a long eye contact for 45 seconds just thinking whether or not he wants it because it's a fair price or if they want to pay, have me pay them for it. It's, it's wonderful. I love that. The other thing is I'm kind of on the different spectrum with the heavy standpoint than Mark. I like my games mechanisms to be a little lighter, but the strategy to be a little deeper. So games like that, I consider splotters to be the utmost example of this because the rules in Fujade Magnet or Indonesia or hell even um, antiquity aren't that hard. They kind of make sense, but the interaction and strategy and how do you actually win this thing with this sandbox is really what I love figuring it out. And I think a little extension of that, too, is 18xx games. I think those are a perfect example of, yeah, you can play it, but how do you play well? So how is it that Siam Reap works again in Indonesia? Siam Reap, uh, you take the same number, multiply it by two, um, but multiply by 20 for the number of rice versus the number of spice. Add them together, multiply them by 20, and then you divide <laughs> that by two. And that's how much you get at the end. I don't I love know. It. We haven't played Indonesia in six months. I, I love the game, and I've won the game. And I couldn't, for the life of you, tell what the rules are right now. What you do is you merge them so your rice is inflated in value and your spice is lower in value. And then after that, you divide the number of actual stuff there by two because there's only half the amount of plantation. I am pretty sure. You might divide it first and then multiply for the valuation of it for the bidding, but 
I'm, I, I'd give myself a C. I'm pretty sure that and a quick reading of the rules would, would easily make us figure out how CM rep works sure. again. Siap Faji. Siap Faji. Siap Faji. Thank you. Yes. Um, <laughs> I just confused everybody here with CM rep. What's that? I understood it, but. That's probably one of the regions in the map, but we wouldn't probably. be able to tell because it's all written in Scriptina. I know you. I know you dislike the way that game works, but it is God such a good game. Which I do. I disclosure. I own the game and I love it. But <laughs> boy, <laughs> I'm not a fan. They, of the they dropped their the ball pretty hard on that production of that game. But let's not get too derailed. I think we could spend an entire podcast railing on the the production issues of Indonesia for a long time. So um, being that we've kind of already taken a hard left turn into our favorite games, let's go fully on down that rabbit hole. Um, let's do it. Jake, um, if you really were to, you know, if somebody were to push you on this one and ask you, Jake, what are your five favorite games of all times by any measurable, meaningful definition? What would you put on that list? Oh, wow. I'll have to do this off the top of my head because I haven't prepared for this at all. I spent the last two-ish weeks agonizing over this and things have come off, come on. And I've just decided that this is what it's going to be. And there's a lot of caveats, which Mark was not going to like. But here's my list. There are no particular order whatsoever. One of my favorite games is Roll for the Galaxy. I bought it and brought it to a Christmas once in Colorado with my family. And we played the ever-living daylights out of it. And I just love it. God, it's the best. I love the dice. They're so chunky. I love the different actions. I love how it is a little bit of a race without being too much. Um, I like the small amount of interaction of guessing what other people are going to do action-wise. It's great. I also love how building an economy is somewhat on the outskirts of the strategy, but it's so important. Like, first time you play it, you may not really understand, and you'll spend one turn getting money and the other doing something that you want to do, but if you could really get it all to work at the same time, it just feels so wonderful. Love that game. And it's 15 minutes if you're playing with people that know how to play. Can't beat it. Solid that's choice. Def- that's definitely my Desert Island game. My number two in no specific order is Indonesia. Asterisk, this could be any splatter game. I don't think Mark heard me. It's fine. Um, Indonesia is my favorite because it's yeah, super not, financial. I've not met a splatter I didn't like. Me neither. I, I've yet to play Roads and Boats of the Big Five, but the other Big Four I love and have played multiple, multiple times of each one. But Indonesia is my favorite. I like the bidding aspect of it. I don't think it's as mean as some of their other ones, which maybe I just need to play with people who are better at the yeah, game. I think that's I think that's a fair statement. But yeah, <laughs> also too, yes, we typically have several beginners every time we play on that one, so it tends to be a pretty gentle game, right? But they they understand how it works and. It's I, I just love the different situations with the auctioning where or uh, on, on the mergers where certain people will have different vested interests to, to see what the price should really be. I just love it so much. I also well, don't mind the map. I think it looks cool. I've blinged my copy to Kingdom Come. I don't think anything in that box is the same components besides the boards and the cards, but it is awesome. Love that game. I think maybe that's where we're missing some of the sharp elbows is in the merger edge of it. Where right. I, I I don't think people are aggressively merging like they should be. Right. And it's I love the tense decision of choosing what you're gonna do in R D this turn because it can completely change the game. You have one slide up on that time and it's gonna make you really good at something, but you gotta think down the line. I just I, I love Indonesia and I love every splatter game. They are wonderful. And depending on the day or month, I think any splatter game could fit in here. 
but Indonesia right now slightly irked out the other ones. My next favorite game is kind of just a regular run-of-the-mill Euro, but I don't know why, but it, I just love it. It's called Yokohama. It's by TMG Games, or originally by a Japanese producer. But in this game, you're just a little fish merchant in Yokohama, right? When the isolation period ended, and you're trying to yep. get the best money with a little bit of worker placement, little kind of area control worker placement action guy thing. You're laying down little cubes, and then you're moving your guy around to take actions. And it's awesome. I know it's one of your favorites, too. We both blinged our copies. Mine's prettier than yours, <laughs> by the way. Let the record show. Uh, tomato, tomato. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm very sad about missing the Kickstarter on this one. I'm so saddened by it that I've actually started to back every single Tasty Minstrel Games production that's deluxified now, for better or for worse. We'll see. So I, I would actually argue that uh, our deluxe, our self-deluxification of Yokohama has gone beyond what the original deluxe edition had. I think the only thing we're missing is the gold leaf on the title of the box. Beyond that, that's though, not I true. Think, we don't have the little guys. Have you seen the little merchants? No, I haven't seen the little guys. The little, right, the little merchants, the actual main merchant guy. Oh, they're so cool. And I need to upgrade my houses. You've oh, done yes. that. I have not. Uh, so. Yes. Um, uh, yes, I have little wooden houses for those things rather than the cardboard ones. Right. So I feel like someone is like... <laughs> refinishing a kitchen and <laughs> just try someday i'll finally be happy um <laughs> maybe when the products we like this game so much mark actually brought back um japanese yen and that was fun to actually play with real currency but oh, then sure. at gen con this year they were selling the actual coins so that outdoes it a little bit yeah designer hisashi hayashi 100 uh, percent at the top of his game right now I'm super happy to see more and more of his games are starting to appear here in the U.S. And um, made a point of bringing some of them back, uh, like Deca Slayer and so forth from Japan when I was there in the spring. And um, Yokohama is just a joy start to finish. Absolutely. I, I think I just got one from him in the mail, um, one of his games. I think it's Blend Coffee Lab. It's a Japanese oh, one. Yep. Yep. It's by Sashi and Sashi. Yeah, I, I I don't know if that's the same guy, though, and I apologize to all the Japanese-speaking people. We do not speak a lick of it. Yeah, Sashi um, and Sashi's a company. Hisashi Hayashi uh, is gotcha, the gotcha, developer gotcha. of Indonesia. So Or Yokohama, but absolutely. Or, sorry, yes, Yokohama. Um, my next favorite game, in no specific order, is Blood Bowl Team Manager. Um, this one's kind of a weird pick. I think it's a little bit nostalgia-based, which is, I think, fine. Um, huge fan of football. My family really likes this game. It's one of the ones kind of like Dominion that was really there when we first started playing and kind of showed me the way with games. Um, I like this game so much that I actually have a sealed copy because I don't think it's going to be reprinted anymore because Fantasy Flight no longer has the rights. Not, I'm not going to say I disagree with you on this pick because, hey, they're your picks and we can all pick put whatever I want on there. But this is the one I'd look at and go, you have like 30 other games I'd rather play. Having said that, fun game. I'd absolutely play right. it. It's a fun game. I'll be candid. I think there's some like weird nostalgia lurking variables in this pick. But For every sure. time I'd take it off and put something else on that's more within my wheelhouse, it felt wrong. And I just had to keep it on there. I just I, I don't know why I like it so much. Kind of a random Ameritrashy card game where you control different matchups where you're playing down your little football players. I just, I just love it. I don't know why I just absolutely love this game. Um, my next favorite game is again, Mark's going to get mad at me here, but 
it's 1846 or the 18xx system but oh no no reason to get mad over liking 1846 Um, 1846 is a good game i know but i like the whole system this could really be a pick and choose any 18x depending on the week but 1846 has some wonderful ideas going on in it um it's one of the first ones we started with i first played 18 cleveland as my first 18xx map at gen con a few years back and while i was in the game i bought 1846 on amazon for 30 bucks and i just have used this game to teach you and teach everybody in the group with mixed results. And I played it recently again with some people that actually know how to play it. And it's a great game, even though we've played so many 18xx games, and we play a whole bunch online all the time. It has some awesome ideas in there. So I'd love to get you to sit back at the table and play this one now that you know some stuff. It's got some pretty cool bells and whistles. And it's one that's actually uh, I personally own as well. So it's part of my 18xx collection. It, it's merely a case that that was the first 18xx game that I played, played it a couple of times, and then since then have played a pile of other titles and just haven't gotten around to revisiting 1846. So that's really my only my only holdback on that one is that I've seen so many others since then that I don't really remember what <laughs> 1846 right. is about. So. Right. Well, and we just didn't understand the strategy of the game. I remember legitimately oh, sure. saying to people... You can issue shares, but I don't know why anyone would do that. (laughs) That's like a huge thing in incremental cap games, but we'll talk about 18xx in detail ad nauseum in a later time. I'd rather hear about your favorite games, Mark. If someone were to make you do your top five. So the one uh, where we both crossed over on was obviously Yokohama. We already talked quite a bit about that one. It's my challenge with Yokohama right now is that my family loves it and my wife loves it and I can no longer beat her. So (laughs) it's an automatic win for my wife whenever we pull out and play that game at our house. So um, I'm a little salty about Yokohama right now, but I love the game enough that I'll let that pass. And I'm willing to uh, play to a second place uh, any day of the week because it's such a fun game. (laughs) So the rest of my top five list, I would have to put Brass Birmingham on that list. Uh, it's the new release. It's the new revision of the Brass system that has taken all what was already a great game with, with Brass slash Brass Lancashire and fixed it in a thousand little ways and where the sum is definitely, the, the whole is more than the sum of its parts. And much like Gaia Project did with Terra Mystica, they took a fantastic game, did a 1.5 version of it and made it better in so many ways. Brass Birmingham did that to the brass system, and it plays so smooth. Um, there are so many different interesting choices and options that can be made on that one. It's easy to teach. It's easy to play. And the strategic depth on that is is really, really rewarding to jump in and play on it. And like we talked about, the production from Roxley Games, I have the deluxe version of it with the Iron Clays and the whole shooting match. It's is gorgeous. absolutely gorgeous. So it's beautiful. It's a little certainly too helps dark. my enjoyment as well. It's kind of dark. Well, yeah, but, so, so is that period in history. Yeah, <laughs> it is thematic. Yeah, I love this game. I think everything you said about it is just wonderful. I will play it anytime. I still think the game would be better without region-specific cards, but that's an argument, again, for another day. And I'm probably wrong, but I just I don't like having to know where Leicester is in relativity to the other regions. It's just, I, I don't know. I don't know English geography. I'm sorry. They're all color coded, and my nearly my nearly black and white color blind friend had no problem with this. So yeah, I'm just I have the worst eyes. I can't see well. I don't wear my glasses. (laughs) I'm squinting all the time, and it's just 
I don't know. It was a pet peeve, but the game is wonderful. Absolutely an improvement on original brass and age of industry, I think. Uh, 100% agree. So um, also on the beautiful production category, I'm a huge fan of Vidal Lacerda's in the same way that you're a huge fan of Splatter Spieling games. And I honestly could have put just about any one of them on this list. Um, I own virtually all of them, um, I have, except for CO2, which I have kickstarted and have on the way. But my favorite with a bullet is Lisboa, which won a pile of awards last year. Amazing production, beautiful, rich artwork, and a really interesting puzzle to solve. Lots of complex moving parts and mechanisms to solve the thematic rebuilding of Lisboa. And there's a lot of different ways you can go about doing that. Do you do the area control thing? Do you get your production engine going? Do you ship for a lot of money? Do you, there's a lot of ways you can do that. And no two games have ever played out the same. Ultimately, you want to get decrees from the king and stuff from the archbishop in order to ramp your engine up. But I absolutely love this game. I've taught it a pile of times and uh, we'll play it anytime, any place. That makes one of us, Mark. Um, this game. Yes, OK, I'm being a little mean. This game is a bit of a meme between Mark and I. Yep. I don't think it's a bad game at all. It's just I think this might be the best way to put it. I have played two Vital Lacerda games. I would absolutely love to play the other two that I have not played that you own or three. I don't know what the number is. I've played uh, Kanban and I've also played Lisboa and I'd love to play the art one, whatever that one's called. The I'd gallerist. Love, the gallerist. And I'd also love to play the wine one, Vinios. I haven't. And I don't know if I'd want to go back to a game that I feel pretty. That was fine. Well, again, we, you know, catching everybody up on our frequent argument on this one. It's something that you are not meant to understand in the first playthrough. And your first playthrough was after several hard days of gaming first thing in the morning. So we were a little hungover with with rank beginners and the game did not play out really very optimally. So I'm batting for a thousand. I won. You did win. But um, I, I, I think having replaying it with people that have played it on their second or third try, I, I think it would open itself up and reveal it to you and reveal its true majesty to All you right. in that one. Episode so. by episode 10, we have to have, I've had to have played. Are you Lisboa. writing these down? I'm not. I don't know. We, you better. We're, uh, we're setting goals all they're, over. They're set the out place. into the ether. Someone will keep us to it. Maybe if it's just my mom. All right. Let me, let me take a hard left turn on this one to something that we will both agree on. I know you are a massive Tichu fan, as am I. God, I love Tichu so much. Ugh, I love so, it. I love trick-taking games. I love laddering games. Tichu's, in my opinion, the best one of all of them. I don't play bridge, so bridge people at ease. Have you played um, Euchre? I have not played Euchre. That's the best either. Yeah, I, I, I sure. I don't know. Tichu is, uh, there's so much strategy. It's a pretty quick teach. Um, I just actually taught my father and my sister how to play this on Thanksgiving night. Yeah, I saw my dad's eyes glossing over a little bit, but as soon as we started playing, you could see him unlocking all of the strategies in there, and it was uh, kind of put a smile on my face, and everybody loved it. So, gotta put Tichu on this list that uh, of games I would play anytime, anyplace, anywhere with anybody. God, I love that game. It's the best. I need to bring it to my family again, but I tried to teach it out of the book the first time before you had actually taught me how to play. It didn't go really well. You can't really teach these kind of games from the book. I I read rule books all the time, but for some weird reason, it just didn't click for me. But now that I've actually played it and played it fairly well now, I would 
die to bring it to my family because they know they're going to love it. They're old bridge people. So, we all, and we all know Uncle Kirk does love trick taking games, <laughs> he but does. Has that's very actually specific one. views on it. So, yes, I think he likes this one. Has he played? I think yes. he likes this one. Yes, yeah, I think. Yeah, you think he's played. Yeah. Okay, and finally on my list, yes, uh, I, I have to include an 18xx title on this one. And like Jake, Ooh. this really honestly could be just about any one of them. Um, of the titles I've played so far, I can't really list one that I look back and would not want to play again. They're they're absolutely out there. I just have so far chosen to play ones that I know are going to be a solid base hit, and thus far they have been. The one I'm going to pick is. For a few different reasons, I'm putting 1849 on the list. That's the uh, Railways of Sicily. It's a very tight, short, somewhat mean game where the competition is extremely intense. There's a real possibility of bankruptcy in here. Um, Not super beginner friendly, but I have taught beginners how to play this one, and they did just fine at it. Uh, I love the MacGuffin of the narrow gauge rails and and the really absurd terrain costs in there. And it's one of the only 18xx's that I feel actually tells a story where you can really sort of feel the push pull of the, you know, the fa- the families controlling the the railroad companies and opening them up, the eruption of the volcano, the um, in how the lines get longer and the train get, gets mastered over time, and all of that story gets told out in under three hours with good players. And right. I, I absolutely love it. I have some extremely fond memories of playing that online. Got to give some shout outs to my brothers, uh, Aaron and Roderick Tech. Thanks for a great summer playing this game. I love this game. I think it's wonderful. It was one of the few first couple of incremental cap games that I played where I was like, oh, wow, you can do this with this. There's just so many cool levers. And also, I think the board is so well designed. You, Yeah. Oh, there's so many Easter eggs in that map. Right. Totally. And that's the best way to put it, because I'm sure this is the exact same way it's put. I love at the end where you can count that you can actually run from Paloma all the way over to the mainland of Italy with an exactly big long train. 16 hexes. Exactly. They totally planned that. <laughs> love that yeah, game. There's a, there's a couple of funny little whoop de doos in the uh, places where it's blocked, and you wonder why on earth do they do that? And then when you figure out that it's exactly 16 hexes and the biggest train is a 16 train, you kind of go, ah, that makes sense. Uh, they don't want you to run that but one. No, to the it's not turn 16 hexes, Mark. It's 16 hex sides. Correct. There you go. It, it's the perfect size. So. <laughs> Wrapping that one up, uh, those are our five favorite games apiece. And, um, you know, I'm sure we'll have this discussion frequently as that morphs and evolves. And, you know, as time goes on, we would love to hear from you guys what your top five favorite games are as well. Absolutely. If you want to reach out to us, we both have emails at thegamingmoguls.com. Mark is mark at the ga- at gamingmoguls.com. And I'm yep, Jake no, at gamingmoguls. Just gamingmoguls.com. Just gamingmoguls.com. And I'm Jake at gamingmoguls.com. We're also on Instagram at just gamingmoguls. That's the username. We might get Twitter. Do you tweet, Mark? I'm not a big Twitter guy. I used to. I follow a bunch of people on there. I don't tend to tweet an awful lot. Yeah, neither do we, I. You know, we should be available to anybody that wants to get a hold of us. So. Just email us. I'm in sales. All I do is email all day. So Mark at GamingMoguls.com, Jake at GamingMoguls.com, or Instagram at GamingMoguls. Perfect. You did it better than me. I'm looking forward to playing some games tomorrow, Mark. How about that? We are. It's our Wednesday night game tomorrow night. Um, smaller crowd, Small but mighty crowd, so. It'll be great. Can't wait to talk about it the next one. Thanks, everybody. All right. Have a good night, everybody. Good night.